Thank you, everyone, for all the participation that has taken place already. Um, I will. I, I like telling you behind-the-scenes stories. So Christine leans over to me and says, "Is your sh sermon short today?" Okay. I was like, "I don't know. I'm a little nervous myself." So uh, we'll see how it goes. We're going to start off uh, with the Lord's Supper today, but we're, it's going to lead us in the direction of understanding the text we're going to look at. Um, and uh, so I, I want to just take a few minutes, and, and as we approach the Lord's Supper, we're not going to do it like we normally do it, in the sense of going to 1 Corinthians 11 and, and walking through the examining yourself. We're going to examine ourselves, but in a different way today. So I wanted to uh, just explain, because when we talk about uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, Lord's table, different terms, all pointing to the same thing, which is this, um, this part of our worship that uh, is united, in a sense, with, with baptism. They're the two ordinances of the church. But we don't do a whole lot of teaching about it, and I'm not, I'm not going to try and do a lot of teaching, but I, I want us to actually engage in, in a couple points, and, and that is, one, the Lord's it, it, it's, it's for Christians. Uh, it is not a religious activity that we participate in to, to get ourselves to the point of being a Christian, or there's, there's, it, it's a remembrance, uh, and we, we treat it as a remembrance, not as a sacrament. Uh, and so it is a time for us as believers to remember something that is vital to our growth and our understanding. So knowing that the Lord's Supper is for Christians, I thought, let's go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to walk through verses 1 through uh, 23. I'm not sure if we cover all of the verses, but uh, we're going to look at this passage because it's one of the places in Scripture that you can go to to understand what the gospel is. And so as we talk about what a Christian is, a Christian is someone who come to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's just walk through this text for a few minutes. And, and we see in the uh, beginning, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. They are believers in the gospel already. Uh, he has preached it. They've believed it. They're standing in it, by which also you are saved. So that's the point I want to point out is I declare to you this gospel, and it's a gospel that saves. Saves from what? Well, let's keep reading. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Um, this is vital for us to understand that as Paul was preaching and as, as all the apostles and, the, and, the, and those who were teaching uh, in the early church, the scriptures they had were the Old Testament. And they're saying that this was foretold in, in the Old Testament. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was, secondly, he was buried. And third, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Scripture is at the central focus of our understanding of the gospel. Without Scripture, we do not know what it, what it is or how to understand it. Uh, we, have been, we know through the person of Jesus Christ, through his work, and through the teaching of the apostles that we have this clear understanding of what the gospel is. He died for our sins. He was buried, proving he was dead. On the third day, he rose again all according to the Scriptures. And then it goes on to say how he was seen by, by many. First Cephas, then the twelve. Uh, then he was seen over 500 at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. 
Paul was actually able to walk and talk. The Corinthians, that they were probably most of these believers, uh, these witnesses would have been in Jerusalem, but they, they could travel to Jerusalem and, and speak with these people. But he says, some have fallen asleep, some have, uh, have passed away. After that, he was seen by James, who was a very prominent figure in the early church, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. This is Paul talking about himself. He saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. For I am the least of the apostles, Paul writes, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I, that, when I get to that, I like to pause there because I'll say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I think that's part of what many of us could say in this room. If you understand the gospel, you understand it's not something we deserved. It is something that God has given to us. It's, it's God's grace to us that we've been given it. And it's by his grace that we are what we are. And it's okay to be what you are. And if you are what you are in Christ, then praise God, you're going to grow and mature in your faith, and it's going to be beautiful. But maybe you are what you are, and, and you have not experienced the grace of God. We are, we are about to participate in the Lord's Supper. It's a remembrance of what Jesus did on our behalf. He died on that cross. He bled for you and for me. He died for you and me so that the grace of God is available to us. And so Paul is saying, I know this to be true. I was a persecutor of the church. Christ died for me, and by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. The, the, the central uh, aspect of our faith has to wrestle with, uh, did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, everything is in vain. We believe he did. We believe Scripture teaches that he did. That's, that's, what, that's the whole point of, of, of Easter and of ever gathering on Sunday as we come together and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. It's pointless if he, didn't, if he didn't resurrect. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That is the crux of the, of the situation that we, as we go into Lord's Supper, if Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is, is, is futile and you, still, you are still in your sins. If you're here this morning and you do not know what, who Jesus is and what he's done on your behalf, if you've never come to an understanding that you can come to a, a faith in him that not only secures you uh, heaven for eternity in the presence of God, but allows you to live in this life free, free of all the stuff that has hindered your, your life up to this point. And, and you, are, you are still in your sins if Jesus never resurrected. But he goes on to say, then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most pitiable. It's really depressing news up to this point. But then Paul says what we want to hear. But now, but now Christ is risen from the dead. That is what we believe. That is what we preach. That's what we invite you to live, to, to believe. And that's what we invite you to live out daily, that Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. He's risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. When Adam fell, when he sinned against God the very first time, the entire human race fell with him. And every person who's ever been born in this world except Jesus Christ, needs to understand that they are a child of Adam and they have his sin attached to their life. But Christ came through the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin. He does not have that sin nature. He was the second Adam. He was pure. He was holy. He was perfect. And it says, for in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, this isn't talking about universal salvation. This is saying, as the, as the next verse uh, explains, each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, he's the first one to be resurrected from the dead. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. There is a distinction. There will be those, when Jesus returns, and we look forward to that return, there are those who are in Christ and those, there are those who are not. And, and what we invite you to do today is to wrestle with your, your position in Christ. Are you standing righteous before the Father? Because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been given to you while your sins have been placed on Christ on the cross? Has that, has that transpired in your life? Because as we go into the Lord's Supper, it is for Christians. It's for people that profess their faith in Christ. That is not our good works that earn our salvation. It's, it is our faith in what Jesus has already done for us. So if you've come to faith in that, I encourage you, participate in the Lord's Supper. If you have not, I would ask you to not participate. You should not proclaim something to be true that you have not personally come to faith in. I would say if you come to faith between uh, now and, and the time we, we do that, by all means, participate. Because the Lord's Supper is for Christians. And, and, and so the question is, have you recognized the sin in your life? We all have to come to a point where we recognize the sin in our life. And secondly, have you asked God to forgive you? Understand that Jesus paid the penalty for all of your sins on the cross. You don't lose your salvation when you sin again right? We, we come to faith in what Jesus Christ has done, and he's our advocate before the Father. He has paid the price for us, and we invite you to come to faith, or I invite you to remember the faith that you've already established. So as for Christians, I threw this question up here as we talk about the Lord's Supper, because we don't often talk about this. This isn't a thus saith the Lord, but this is a, a good practice, uh, as we talk about the ordinances of the church, the Lord's Supper that we'll participate in in a few minutes, uh, it is a remembrance of his death, burial, and resurrection. But there's an ordinance that takes place before that, and that's the, 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 the ordinance of baptism. Baptism is done once in a person's life. I mean, in, in a perfect world, right? I mean, there's many people that, 
when you come to genuine faith in Christ, you ought to be baptized, professing, publicly professing your union with Christ in your death and his death, burial, and resurrection. As you're lowered be- below the water and raised back up, it's a picture, it's another remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. I talked to one parent just recently who said that's their practice. It was our practice that, that our children could not participate in the Lord's Supper until after they've come to the point of, of baptism. But that baptism isn't just a, a rite, a religious rite. It's actually something I don't, I don't like to baptize children. It's not a magic age, but I'm looking at like 8, 9, 10. You know, somewhere where they have, they have grown to the point of understanding sin understanding the gospel to the point where they are seeking to live for Christ. Because when we look at baptism oftentimes as a past thing, well, I'm, I, I got baptized because Jesus saved me. But it's more. It's, it's when you're baptized, you're saying, I'm unified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and I'm choosing to live for him daily. And so this is a beautiful thing. So the Lord's Supper is a way of remembering. At every Lord's Supper, you should recall your baptism. Yes, I made that public profession of faith. And yes, I am committed to live for the Lord from this day point, from this day forward, as I, as I did even then. Are you in right relationship with the body of Christ? That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 11. The church was not unified. And there was backtalking and, and, and uh, not esteeming others the way they should. Uh, are you in right relationship? If you have a brother or sister in Christ that you're just not, you know there's anger, there's bitterness, or something, you ought to go work that out before you participate in the Lord's Supper. Do you have unconfessed sin? This is often what we think about when we think about con- uh, examining ourselves. Do we have unconfessed sin? Well, okay, let me confess it real quick and I participate. It's, it's, yes, that's, that's appropriate. If you have unconfessed sin, confess it. As we have a moment of prayer in a little bit, confess it. Uh, but, but don't just confess it and, and like, it's, it's done. No, no, you need to live a life that is practicing this idea of confessing of sin and, and restoration in that fellowship with God, right? It, it, it is a beautiful thing. So that's, what, that's all the backstory to the Lord's Supper, because we're going to go through the text in, in, uh, in Mark 14. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Mark 14... In Mark 14, we're going to, the beginning of this text finds Jesus with his disciples uh, celebrating the Last Supper, which is the forerunner to our Lord's Supper. And so as, as we look at this text, I, I want us to understand all that's involved, because when we get to the portion where they eat and where they drink, we're just going to do that and keep moving, all right? Uh, so having said that, let me go ahead and pause for a moment of prayer uh, as, we, as we consider all that we've heard up to this point and as we step into the working through God's Word. Father, I thank you for your Word. It, it truly does change lives, Lord. I pray that it would change lives even this morning as we've just walked through the gospel, an understanding of who Jesus is. He's your Son, and He came here willingly out of love to die in our place on the cross because he was the sinless substitute. He is the one that would, was able to take all the sins of all the world of all time, of all people. And you looked at that sacrifice, and when he said, it is finished, and he died, he breathed his last, he paid the price. And Father, your word teaches that all those who come to faith in him and what he has done 
are born again. And so, Father, we thank you that we can understand that we have new life in Christ. As we go into this particular Lord's Supper celebration, remembrance, I pray, Father, that whatever has been set up to this point, if it is resonating in the hearts uh, of those uh, in this room or, or, or on, uh, in, in, at home, that they would take this time to pray and ask for your forgiveness, that they would pray and they would realize the importance of healthy relationships in a church, that they would pray and recognize that they, they are called to live a life that is distinctly Christian, distinctly following Christ. Lord, I pray that you do your work, even as we move forward in this text, that you would heal relationships, that you would grow us in our faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In Mark 17, I want to just talk about the ordinary life of Jesus. We don't always talk about the ordinary life of Jesus, do we? We think of Jesus as extraordinary, which he certainly is. He's the God-man. But I want you to think about the first, say, 30 years of his life. What was his life characterized by? Well, he was brought up in a Jewish home with siblings, brothers and sisters, and, and he probably played games, and he probably did all kinds, he did chores, and he did all kinds of things. His life, in the, as you look at the span of his life, it was an ordinary life of any other Jewish boy and Jewish young man. And certainly things become a little bit more prominent when he comes to about the age of 30 and he's baptized by John the Baptist. But I want to just talk about this ordinary life of Jesus for a minute because that's what we're introduced to right when we begin this text in in, uh, Mark 14. Uh, We see that the ordinary life of Jesus included getting together with friends for an ordinary meal. It's just an ordinary meal. Now, it's, it's the Passover meal, but it was still ordinary. I mean, it was a special meal, but they had practiced it all their lives. This is an ordinary meal. I thought this was uh, appropriate for today as we talk about a three-day weekend. Uh, I drove by my neighborhood recently, uh, just, well, I should say yesterday and this morning, and there's a tent and tables, and even this morning, there was all kinds of cars. They must have had a sleepover or something, but there is all, a whole lot of people that aren't normally there there. It's an ordinary part of life. We get together with people. You're probably getting together with people after the service today. But the ordinary life of Jesus included getting together with friends for an ordinary meal. It says, In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said something. But before they get there, let's just say, listen, they sat and they ate. Pretty normal. All right? They probably reclined, but uh, we'll get there. But what does Jesus say in this ordinary meal? Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Way to put a damper on the fellowship, Jesus. Right? I mean, we're gathering here. We're having fun. I actually thought about that. It's kind of like our church service. Before the service actually begins, people are fellowshipping. Hey, go ahead, get your seats. You get your seats. You know, you sing some wonderful songs and joys in the room. And then it's like, let's talk about the death of Jesus. Let's talk about betrayal. It kind of gets serious, and it should, and it does, because he says, listen, one of you who's eaten with me is going to betray me. So the ordinary life of Jesus was interrupted by the extraordinary. Now, this happens in our life. Don't, don't let this just happen in Bible land, right? This is in your life. The ordinary gets interrupted by the extraordinary. But in this point, uh, for Jesus, it was extraordinary, but it was 
It was not unexpected, right? There's a double negative for you. I talked about last week for emphasis. It's the idea of it's, it, Jesus knew this was going to happen, but the disciples didn't. And so they started asking, and hey, this question is, Jesus said he was going to be betrayed. To be betrayed means there's someone close to you who is not your friend anymore. It says, and they began to be sorrowful. And to say to him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? He answered and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. We're not just talking about an acquaintance. We're talking about a very close friend. Why am I emphasizing this? Because I want you to understand, we, we cannot dismiss the humanity of Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. He is fully God and he's fully man. But this is a friend Someone that he has poured his life into, and they are going to betray him. And that's, I think that's significant as we go further into the text. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. I wonder if Jesus, excuse me, Judas was paying attention. He's dipping his, his bread. Woe to that man it would have been better if he had not been born. As we understand the judgment of God, we know a little bit more about what this means. I'm wondering what was going through the heart and mind of Judas. The ordinary life of Jesus included getting together with friends for an ordinary meal, but that ordinary meal didn't stay ordinary for very long. Jesus brought new meaning to the Passover meal. He says, uh, he, he, Jesus taught the extraordinary meaning of this meal. Uh, and he says in verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. So go ahead and, and take your, uh, remember, open the correct side. All right. Don't open the juice yet. All right. Uh, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat. And I'm pausing right here. We're going to eat it. Just, take, eat. So go ahead and eat it. Now envision yourself, a disciple in that room, take, eat. You've, you're like, oh, this is, yeah, this is good. I've done this my entire life. This is my body. What? What? Things just got real quiet. Things just got real serious. He goes on and says, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they drank from it. And Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. This is not an ordinary meal. It's an ordinary meal with extraordinary meaning. And, and this is what we refer to when we talk about a remembrance of what Jesus has done. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus says, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So in, in light of that, I'm going to invite the uh, musicians up. And believe it or not, we're going to squeeze one more song in here. And, uh, and, and then we're going to pick up on this idea that they went out to the Mount of Olives. So there they are. Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room, and they've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane 
on the Mount of Olives. It's a significant point in our story, and it's really the point that I wanted to focus on, and, and we'll have enough time, I believe, to go through and, and understand that the ordinary life of Jesus included going to a garden to pray. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that this was a, a normal pattern. This was not a place unfamiliar to the disciples. Uh, Judas would have known where to go because uh, Jesus would go there, and he would go to a garden. I was reading one book that I talked about, isn't that something that many of us do? We if we live on the West Coast or the East Coast, we're going out maybe to, to look at the, the cre- God's creation, the ocean. Maybe we live in the, in the, in the middle states and, and uh, we're in the mountains or the plains. And, and there are certain times where we get out and we just want to experience the beauty of uh, the serenity of God's creation as we go and we pray. I'm very thankful for those that have communicated. They appreciated last week's uh, uh, focus on prayer. And, and I'm just picking that up today as, as a way of us to engage in something that is so vital to our Christian growth. Mark 14, 32 says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. This was, again, I think probably not unusual for them to sit there while he went forward. But this ordinary time of prayer didn't stay ordinary for very long. It was, it was something was different in this particular time of prayer. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. Let's just consider for a few moments these words. Well, I think we're going to see pretty soon, you know, his view on that. But I think what's going on here is he is in a position in their presence because this is new. This is, he is, something is, is at his doorstep. Something is on his mind and his heart. And he's telling these people, his close friends, he is troubled, deeply distressed, exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. What brought Jesus to that? Well, I think one part of it, has been the last week's activities of wrestling me with that friendship. But then we see more specifically uh, what goes on. But first, let me just say, prayer, this is from last week's, this idea that prayer is a gift from God which grants us access into his presence. That's what I really wanted to focus on last week. This prayer thing, it's a gift. It's not anything we deserve. And it's a gift that somehow is often underutilized. But I, I want us to focus. Here's the picture from last week. It's simple. It's sweet. It's a gift. But because we possess this gift of prayer, we can enter God's presence when we are overwhelmed. Is there not a time in our life where we are most, it's most normal to come into God's presence? When 9-11 happens and the towers fall and Thousands of lives were extinguished in a matter of moments. The entire nation turned to God in prayer. We will not forget. When a loved one dies, we're remembering Memorial Day today, and and I, I haven't said anything up to this point, but I'll say this. This is a time of great grief for people. I was going to do this earlier, and I, and I forgot. But if you know someone, personally know someone, who has died in the line of duty, and you are remembering him this day on Memorial Day, 
Would you stand? You know someone who has given their life. It's real, folks. Memorial Day is real. Okay, folks, thank you. You can sit down. I don't want to draw too much out of this, but I will say this. I don't know what, who they know. Was it a father? Was it a mother? Was it a sister? Was it a brother? Was it a child? What is this? Was it a close friend? I don't know. But Memorial Day is a day of great grief for many people. So enjoy the normal, ordinary meals and fellowship. I'm not saying you can't do that. It's a long weekend. You got some extra time? Spend it. But don't forget to remember those who are grieving. And having witnessed the grief of a wife, of many wives who have lost their husband, having been there when they heard the bad news, they were overwhelmed. One dropped to her knees in a way that I was not expecting, but thankfully we were able to catch her. She just lost all composure. She, her life had just been turned upside down. I'm trying to get, it, get you to understand. When Jesus is in the garden, and when he's, when he's, we know the story so well. It's like, yeah, he's in the garden. Yeah, then the next part, and then the next part. No, he's in the garden with his friends. And he's overwhelmed. And we just talked last week that we have a high priest who understands who we are. He understands what we go through. And here we can pause and just say, we are able to step into God's presence when we are overwhelmed. I don't know if you've had that experience or not. But when you do, unwrap the gift of prayer. Step into his presence and welcome his word into your life. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This was his request. He said, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will but what you will. I think what we see here is the intersection of what's going on in in Jesus' human life and his divine life. He knows what's coming. That's his divinity. But he has to face it. And that's his humanity. And I will say, listen, he's having to. I don't want to go through what? The pain of whipping and torture and crucifixion. But I also don't want to go through you laying the sins of the world upon, upon me where I, where I experience this separation from you I've never experienced, Father. Take this cup away. That's one part of the tension. The other part of the tension is, but not what I will, but what you will. Folks, we have those moments in our life it's not necessarily over, always in an overwhelming experience, but we have those times where God's will comes into, into tension with our desires. I don't know if I want my child to go on a mission field. It's a dangerous place to be. I'd, I'd rather have him close to home. God's will and our feelings, they may be at odds at some level, but I think they're just in tension. And Jesus' humanity and his divinity, I, 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 I'm, even, I'm cautious to even say what I'm about to say, but I'm saying, in some sense, it's, it's intention. God, 
Take it away if it's possible. You can do all things. But I'm committed, Father, to do your will. We have to ask ourselves, are we committed to, add, to pray the same thing when, when those tensions in our life, when we're overwhelmed or when we're just wrestling with things, are we willing to seek God's will no matter what? Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But his good friends that were not betraying him were there and they were sleeping. He's like, stay awake, pray with me. You know. Again, he went and prayed and spoke the same words. For a second time, he, he, he spoke these words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Judas has come. And we're not going to go any further in this text. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jesus pouring out his heart. He's taking advantage of his access to the Father. Access that no one else possesses at this point in time. But it's access that we have. Because we can, when we understand that prayer is a gift and that we possess this gift of prayer, we can enter into God's presence when we're overwhelmed. And I purposely have had the slides dark because I'm going to shock you and just say, because we possess this gift of prayer, we can enter into God's presence when we are overjoyed. And I'm even going to say uh, that we can do it everywhere in between. That's a later slide. But I wanted you to bring your attention to Psalm 145. And, and we're almost done. Psalm 145. I did a Google search. What's the most joyous psalm in the, in the Bible? First re- response, 145. I wanted to see what I mean. You know, listen, this is what people will do. They're going to go online and they're going to ask questions. They're going to ask you questions. I don't know if you'd come up with 145, but Google did. I thought it was a good exercise. And, and so let's look at Psalm 145. Because if we can take advantage of this gift of prayer, if we can unwrap it, We can enter his presence when we are overjoyed. Look at the joy that the psalmist, this is the psalm of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your your, uh, great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. And your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. They make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. 
The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear the cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. So as as we conclude this psalm, I want you to understand this psalm was written by the same person who wrote Psalm 41 that was read for us earlier. The psalm that that talks about uh, a friend betraying him. I don't know if you caught that in Psalm 41, but Jesus is referencing it. It's, it's, it's the idea of it's a, it's a future look in the day of the, when, when, when David wrote it. It's, it's talking about what happened to Jesus. A good friend has betrayed me. One who has broken bread with me has betrayed me. This same person is able to write this glorious psalm of praise. And you're saying, well, pastor, how is this prayer? This is prayer. And this is a prayer that you can engage in when you need to. Because we can come to God uh, with this gift of prayer. We can enter God's presence even when things are ordinary. When you're overwhelmed, when you're overjoyed, and when you have an ordinary day, you can come and you can pray Scripture. Pray Psalm 145. Conclude it the way he does. My mouth shall speak of the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. If you struggle in your prayer life, go to the Psalms. I would say get on your knees. Get in a quiet place like a garden and pray that Psalm to God. Pray his words back to him as an act of worship. Pray in all, pray at all times. Uh, so I just want to, we, we have ordinary lives. Jesus had an ordinary life with extraordinary moments. We have ordinary lives. But when we come to Jesus, our lives become extraordinary. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper. We've talked about baptism. We've talked about having this privilege to come into the presence of God. When we come to Jesus, and I pray that you have, our lives become extraordinary. There are things that are true of my life and in your life now after having come to faith that could never have been realized or experienced. Enjoy the extraordinary aspects of your Christian life. What kind of day are you having today? Is it an ordinary one? That's okay. God does amazing things on ordinary days. It's beautiful outside, but it's ordinarily beautiful. This is the time of season. We expect days like this. I'm very thankful for it. But today is a good day for you to come to Christ in faith or to come to Christ to deepen your faith. Unwrap the gift of prayer and see what God does in your ordinary life. We have the example of Christ. 
He went through mountaintop experiences, literally. He was transfigured on a mountaintop. He went through the Garden of Gethsemane. You will go through highs and lows, and you will have your average days, your ordinary days. But every one of them is an opportunity to unwrap prayer. And as I, we just continue this theme, uh, I want to encourage you. Make it a practice in your life. Look forward to it. Enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to you in prayer. Lord, we're concluding our, our, our service with, with uh, the reality that we are in need of you every day. But Father, thank you for the good news that you are there when we're overwhelmed. Thank you that we have a Savior who understands what that feels like. Thank you that we can find solace, comfort, that Jesus experienced crushing feelings and he brought them to you in prayer. Father, we pray that we would do that, but I pray that we wouldn't only do it in the crushing times. Father, I pray that as we go into prayer even now that there will be those in, in this room who are thinking thoughts that have been stirred by your spirit as we've engaged in your word. And, and I don't know what they're all praying, Father. I, I, I pray that they're praying with me that you would do a work in each individual's life. Those who are struggling with relationship within the body, how am I going to make that right? Lord, they need to bring that to you in prayer. And your word will guide them. Father, there are those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, whether it be from the military or whether it be from just average life, a, a normal relationship, a, a husband, a, a wife, a sister, a brother, a child, a parent, whatever it might be, Lord. Those are times where we come to you and we, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. So, Father, maybe someone here is trying to figure out, Lord, how, how do I unburden my burden? And the simple answer is, we are called to cast all our cares upon you. We need to come to you in prayer. And you meet us in that prayer. You meet us in your word. And we're so thankful for it. Father, I would be remiss if I didn't say that there are maybe those out there today that are just struggling with the whole idea of their relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that they would pray today. That they would pray God, Father, I want to be in right relationship with you because of what Jesus has done. And that's a prayer that one could pray for the first time. They've never been able to call themselves a Christian up to this point and understand what it means, but now they can. They can pray that prayer and say, God, forgive me for my sins, all of them, because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. And Father, may I commit my life to live in response to what you have done for me. But we can also pray that prayer a million times over as we encounter the difficulties of our humanity, as we experience the failures that once we're a believer and we still sin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us pray anew each and every day. Lord, may I live my life to glorify you. Paul said it. Others have demonstrated their willingness to go to the point of death because of the 
great love that you have for them. Father, I pray that we would be committed likewise to live our lives in response to the good news of the gospel. May you be glorified in the response of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.